Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. How are we all doing? Great. It's great to be back here with each and every one of you again today as we're just continuing in our study from the book of James. And this morning, we're specifically going to be looking at what James has to say regarding how to avoid arguments or how to really deal with the conflict that exists in your life. And you know, I think that I am the perfect person to give you this message this morning because I am just about to complete my first year of marriage. And I can tell you, I totally have this figured out by now. Just kidding. Pretty far from it, if anything. But working as a youth pastor, I am in a very specific and unique position to kind of understand this a little bit differently than most people do. See, I get a partner alongside of students through all different walks of life, through where that initial kind of, I think I have feelings. Is that what this is called? Feelings? I'm not quite sure what to do with these things. Uh, I have feelings towards someone. I, I kind of want to enter in this dating relationship, and you have this relationship, and then once they move out of high school and go into college, taking it to that next level and thinking about engagement and just seeing the full spectrum of it. But I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with students where they come up to me and they say, Matt, I just, I don't get it. I'm frustrated. Like, I love him so, I love her so much, but we just fight all the time. We're arguing over the most insignificant things. Like, why don't they just love me? Like, why, why don't they do everything that I want them to do? Why don't they just stop being fruitcakes, Right? And I get parents who come up to me and say, hey, you know, Matt, like, I, I really need your help. I need your help because I try to live a godly example. I try to do my best to impart wisdom and always be there to support. But if I find that I'm always arguing and bickering with my son and daughter. They just don't see that I'm trying to protect them, that I'm trying to impart wisdom into their lives. They don't see what I'm trying to do. And it's creating this rift in our family. See, no matter where you are in your life, you're no stranger to conflict. You're no stranger to arguments because every single one of them has them in every part of our life. And James recognizes this, that it's not a new problem that exists even way back then too. And so James is writing in chapter four to say, hey, look, I know that conflicts are a real thing. I know the arguments are a real thing, but they don't have to be as bad as you allow them to be. And so he's going to give us some advice and some wisdom to help us understand why we have conflict in the first place and then work towards a resolution and some cures as we move through it. But before we actually get into chapter four, I think that today's message is going to be more impactful for all of us if we can put a face to the conflict in our life. And so what I want you to do is don't nudge the person next to you or say the name out loud or slap the back of the head of the person in front of you, but I just want you to think, who is it in your life that causes you the most conflict? Who is it that you just are always at odds ends with, that you always find yourself arguing with, that it's just a burden, a drain on your life to have to deal with? I see some of you smiling and nodding, like you already like immediately know who that is, right? But I think that if you have this mental picture of this conflict that you have with this specific person, as we read what James is about to say, it's going to make the situation come alive. And not just come alive, but it's going to help you understand what James is telling you to do in regards to that very same specific situation that you find yourself in. So hopefully most of you have a face to your conflict in your life as we pick up. So let's read chapter four, starting in verse one, if you'd follow along with me. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive 
because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Continuing on, it says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, what James is saying here is that the root cause of all of the desire that exists inside of your life or all the conflict that exists inside of your life is desire. It's when your wants are different than my wants, we're going to clash. When my desires may be different than what the desires that you have for your life are opposing each other, sparks are going to fly. And this isn't something new. This is something that's been ingrained in us since the very beginning of our creation, back to when we were born and we couldn't even speak. Many of you know that a child, if a child's needs aren't instantly gratified, if its desires aren't instantaneously met, that child lets you know that there is conflict in the world, right? They will cry, they will wail, they will scream, they will throw a tantrum, they will do whatever it takes to show you that there is conflict in life because their desires are not being met. And this isn't just in our infancy ages, it even translates into our relationships and into our marriages as well. You see, you go into relationships and you go into these marriages with certain ideals, certain things that you expect, certain desires out of life. Then one day you wake up and you realize that maybe those expectations are unrealistic. That what you desired from that relationship is not necessarily what they desired to get out of that relationship. And it creates conflict and it keeps growing and growing and building and building until it just explodes out of proportion because there's a difference in your desires. But what are these desires? I think James does a really good job, along with most of the New Testament authors, helping us narrow this down. He's saying, look, there are three basic types of desires that really control everything in your life, whether you believe it or not. And these same three basic desires are the reasons why you have conflict in your life. So I'd like you to write them down with me as we study them, because it's so important that we recognize these as we move into this topic about avoiding arguments, because if we can identify what the root cause of the desire is in our life, it may help us solve some of the issues before they even begin. So James says this, starting off with the first point, he says the first desire is the desire to have. It's the desire to have. This is about possessions. This is materialism. This is the idea of I always want more right? The way that James says it is like this. He says, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. He says, you desire, but you do not have. You see, God gave us things in this life to enjoy, to use. That's the whole purpose. We're to use them to love upon people, to enjoy the things that we have. But somewhere down the road, we got this backwards thinking saying, no, we're supposed to love things and use people, where we start to manipulate people. We start to coerce people. We start to maneuver people around just to get what we want to get out of life because it's all about me. It's about having what I want to have in this life. 
And it creates conflict. It creates strife. It creates issues as you try to push this forward onto other people. And the problem is that when we start loving things and using people, it explodes. It creates conflict. You know, it's no wonder why George Gallup in the Gallup polls, he says that 56% of all marriages that end in divorce are over financial issues. It's this idea of, I always have to have the latest and the greatest. I always have to have these things because these things define who I am. And that desire, that greed to have more and more, it consumes you and it controls you and it pushes other people away. You know, we as Americans, we live in this great nation that has this ideal that our constitution says the pursuit of life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. But we all know that that's not true. We all know that you can't buy happiness because there's always something new. There's always something greater. And as soon as you get one brand new thing, it's already obsolete by the time that it reaches your hands. You can never be satisfied with this need to be consumed with the latest and the greatest. And it leaves you feeling empty inside. And that desire just builds even more. And that feeling of being empty is actually the second root desire that we see. It's the desire to feel. The desire to feel. This is all about feeling good. It's about finding pleasure in life. It's about this idea of, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be happy, to be satisfied, to be comforted in what's going on around me. The way James puts it in verse 3, he says this. He says, you cannot get what you want. You cannot get what you want. Another translation says you want only what gives you pleasure. Now, don't get me wrong. Things in this life were meant for us to enjoy. We're supposed to enjoy this life. 1 Timothy 6.17 says God made everything for our enjoyment. But when the feeling of pleasure, when this idea of, oh, this makes me feel good, so I'm going to continue to do it, when that takes control of your life, it pushes people away. It offends people because they're not on that same page. And the point is this, folks, when you put your comfort, when you put your own personal wants and desires, how you want to feel in the moment, what you want to happen above the needs of other people, it's going to make them estranged to you. It's going to push them further and further away and create conflict deeper than anything you've ever experienced inside of your life. And the third desire that James shows us is this, it's the desire to be, the desire to be. What I mean by this is this is all about pride. It's all about popularity. It's all about prominence. It's about being something great, right? It's all about me. I like it. Frank Sinatra, he wrote a song that kind of had to deal with this. And he says, and I did it all my way. Because that's what this world has come to. It's all about me. Look at me. Look at me by the way that I dress. Look at me by the job that I have. Look at me by the friends that I keep, by the things that I buy. Look at me by the status that I hold. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's all about taking that next step to always be number one, to be the most interesting person around, to be the popular person in that group. You have that desire that just consumes you to be something great. And that pride pushes people away. That pride starts to wreck your relationships with other people. It wrecks your marriage and all of these things. And this isn't something new. Scripture even talks about this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. It says, pride leads to arguments. Do you know why? Because pride doesn't want you to give in. Pride doesn't want you to compromise. I guarantee you that every single person in this room has had an argument or a conflict at some point in their life 
where after halfway through this argument, however long it's been, you realize that you actually are the one at fault. But instead of admitting you're wrong, you keep pushing. You keep arguing because you don't want to be seen as the bad guy. You will do whatever it takes to switch the focus to make it seem like you're the victim and the other person is the villain because pride consumes us. Pride controls us and pride leads to arguments because you're not willing to give in. You're not willing to compromise or to make amends where you know that you need to, but you just don't want to. And it's so hard because it's related to this idea of our desires not being filled. We get prideful because our desires aren't being satisfied. And you know why they're not being satisfied? Well, James tells us, going back to verse 2 and 3, he says, You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James makes it very clear. He says, the reason you are not being satisfied in life, the reason your desires are not being met is because you're not asking God. You're asking other people. You're going to things. You're looking for that answer in things. You're trying to do it yourself. And if you do pray, well, you're praying with the wrong motives. You're praying with a selfish desire that exists deep down inside of your heart. And it's pushing people out of your life. You know, scripture makes it very clear in multiple places. It says that God wants to give you the desires of your heart, but he only will do it if you come with a sincerity of heart, with the genuineness of your faith and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I need your help. God, I can't provide. My desires will never be fulfilled or satisfied in the things of this earth. They can only be filled by you. And James recognized this. James saw this even being an issue back in his own congregation. He saw it breaking apart the church, pulling apart Christians, breaking down their faith. And so James writes in such a way to kind of give them a warning. He writes in such a way to say, look, I don't want you to have to deal with this conflict that exists in your life. You want to break free from the pride that holds you back? You want to break free from the desires that are creating conflict in your life? Well, then the ultimate resolution is this. It's humility. And write this down. It's humility. The resolution, the cure for our conflict is to come at it with a humble heart, the humble approach. You know, back in uh, James chapter 4, verses 6 and 10, it says this. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, another translation, I like it. It says that, that God will give you the desires, that God gives grace to the humble. You know what grace is? It's the God-given power to change. Do you want change? Do you need change in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your working friendships, whatever it may be? Do you need something to change because you just find that you're always at conflict with someone? Well, if you do, then you need the grace of God. You can't do it on your own. And God's not going to give grace to the people who are prideful and they come saying, no, I can do this all my way. It's my will be done. No, God gives his grace to the people who humble themselves and say, Father, I cannot do this on my own. It's your will that be done. Father, let your will be done in this place. And so James recognizes this and he says, look, I encourage you all to be humble that when you find yourself in the midst of conflict, the cure for that conflict is a humbleness of heart. Don't let your pride take control. Don't let your desire or your greed or your envy consume you to where you're always fighting with other people. But be humble as you approach each and every situation. 
Now that sounds great, but James says, I know that that is just words out of my mouth. He says, let me give you some actual practical steps that you can take to truly cure the conflict that exists in your life, to truly make it through even the deepest and darkest moments that you have. And so the first one that he gives us is this. He says, you need to learn to give in to God, to give in to God. You know, in verse seven, it said, submit yourselves then to God. This simply means let God be the God of your life. Stop trying to play the role of God. Stop trying to do everything yourself. Stop trying to control everything yourself because it's never going to work. You know why it's never going to work? Because earlier on, back in verse one, James Wright, and he says, there's these desires that wage war inside of you. You see, our desires, they aren't just outward conflicts that we have with other people. They're conflicts that we also have with ourselves. Oh, I'm not good enough for this. I don't have enough strength to do this. Oh, I I may be too good for this. It's this war that rages inside of you. And it fills you with fear and stress and anxiety and bitterness. And you don't know what to do with it. So you just unload it. You unleash it to whoever happens to be around you. And it's unfair because these are the people that love you the most that don't deserve this, that are hurt by the things that you say because you're choosing to take control of your life rather than giving it over to God. And God says there's so much more for this. He says if you want to work through these, the first step you got to take is let peace rule on the inside. You've got to let peace consume your heart so it can overflow into everything that you do. You know, in Colossians, Paul writes and he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Folks, I can tell you that when you put the love of Christ in the center of your life, when you fill yourself with his peace, it overflows into every aspect of your life. It allows you to remain calm, even in the deepest, darkest of arguments, the most violent of conflicts that you have in your life. It allows you to stop, to rationalize, and to think, how would God want me to respond in this moment? How can I show love in the midst of this conflict that is tearing apart my life? What is it that God wants me to do? And that only comes when you get the peace of God that exists inside your life. The second thing that James tells us to do is this. He says to get wise to Satan. To get wise to Satan means to be alert, to be prepared. He says to recognize the the conflict and the arguments that exist in your life and recognize where their source comes from. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This word resist, it's a war term. It means to stand firm against, to prepare yourself for battle, to stand firmly and be ready. You see, because Satan, the devil, is going to come at you with everything that he's got. He's going to come at you and he's going to throw whatever he can in front of you to ruin your relationships, to ruin your marriages, to ruin your, your working atmospheres. He's going to fill you with doubt and anxiety and stress and fear and worry. He's going to just try to destroy everything that's good inside of you because that's who he is and that's what he wants to do. But we need to stand firm against this. Even Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul says you need to be aware of the tactics of the devil. You need to know what he's trying to do. He doesn't stand there like we depict him in movies, this big red guy with a pitchfork just poking people, laughing at their, their misery. No, you know what his tactic is? His tactic is to play on your wounded pride. His tactic is to speak little sweet nothings into your ear in the midst of a conflict. 
in the midst of an argument to make you think that maybe you're not good enough. Or maybe you're better than this. And it causes you to argue with more passion, to say things that you don't mean to say, to do things that you don't mean to do. Because the devil is real and he's at war against us. So how do we combat this? How do we resist the devil? Same way that Jesus did. We memorize scripture. We have fellowship with God. We go back to the verse in Proverbs where he says that pride leads to arguments. That when you find yourself in the midst of a conflict, in the midst of an argument, that you can stop that you can center yourself in who God is and the power and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God and say, I know that God is in control of this situation. I know that God's got my back through this. And no matter what Satan throws at me, he's not going to win. I'm not going to let him take control of this argument and compromise who I know that I am as a Christian. So we need to get wise to Satan. We need to push through his tactics and resist the devil. And there's such a great promise at the end of this. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I don't know about you, but I want the devil to run in fear every time he sees me coming. And that's the promise that James says, if you have the peace of God, if you grow in Christ, if you let him be the centermost of who you are, the devil knows he can't win and he's going to run away in fear. But it only comes when you surrender yourself to the loving peace and the grace and the mercy of God. And the third and final thing that James tells us as it carries says this, to grow closer to God. Well, how does growing closer to God help me in my argument? So when you're at church, when you're involved in small groups, C groups, when you're at fellowship with believers, when you're having coffee or a Bible study with, with a believer just engaging in Christ, you grow deeper in your knowledge of who God is and your relationship with who he is, and it builds inside of your life. You know, Isaiah says this in verse number 26. He says, He will keep him in perfect peace, all those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. You see, when you center yourself in Christ, when you grow in Christ, he puts a peace in your life that's unlike anything else, that no one else can give you, a peace that controls you, a peace that allows you to respond rationally in any argument, or in any conflict that you may be facing. But the problem is that we only go to God when we absolutely need something. Remember, James said earlier that the reason you don't have what you desire is because you don't pray. You don't go to God, and when you do go, it's only because you need something that you want. And that's so true because we use God as an escape go. God, I figured I have run through all of my options. I'm exhausted, and so now I will turn it over to you. That's not how God works. God says, I want to be there every step of the way with you. I will be there. I am there every step of the way with you. I want to grow with you. I want to fill you with my peace that's going to allow you to stand firm in the midst of your conflicts, in the midst of the arguments that you may be facing in your life right now. So the question is, where are you at this morning? Do you have conflict in your life? Are you arguing over something trivial over something that is so small, but yet the argument is so big that it doesn't have to be. Maybe it's because you have this desire to have where you're out there working nonstop so you can have the latest and the greatest, but you don't realize that you're neglecting your family, that you're not spending time with them and it's creating conflict. Or maybe it's you have this desire to feel where you're so worried about how you're feeling in the moment that you're not paying attention to the other people around you and the hurt that you're causing them. Or maybe it's the desire to be, where you're trying so hard to make a name for yourself that you're using the people who love you the most. See, these desires, 
they ruin lives. They create conflict. They create arguments. And once they start, they're hard to break out of. But James says, you need to come at it with a humbleness of heart. A humbleness knowing that only the Lord can satisfy you. You know, James mentions in the first three verses of this chapter, four times he says, you're unsatisfied. You want, but you don't get. You strive, but you can't have. He's saying, you're unsatisfied in this life. And that's the sad reality of all of us, that our desires are not being met. But he says, there is a cure for this. There is a way to overcome this. And it's by seeking the Lord in a genuineness and a humbleness of heart. And there's such a great promise in this. He says, if you grow closer to the Lord, the Lord comes closer to you. He doesn't run away. He's not like, oh, hey, good job. You're all fixed. No, he comes closer to you and he stays there. He remains in your life to help you combat any future conflict, any future arguments, whatever it may be in your life that's trying to pull you down. So the question is, are you willing to set aside your pride? Are you willing to sacrifice some of those desires to let humility rule your heart and recognize maybe I'm the one in the wrong? Maybe I need to get right with God first before I can get right with other people around me. Because that's what God is calling us to do. That's what James is challenging us to do. And that's what I challenge all of you to do as well. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, God, I pray that you just help us think of others, Father, not just our own desires. Father, that we would be willing to admit when we're wrong. Father, maybe there's somebody that's been placed in our life. Maybe it's that person we talked about at the very beginning of this message that we know that maybe we've said or we've done things that we shouldn't have done. Father, that we know that we need to apologize. Father, we need to ask for forgiveness. Father, we've been selfish and we're sorry. But God, today we want to give in to you. Father, we give you our lives, our relationships, our marriages, our careers. Father, we surrender it all to you. God, and we pray that you just put the peace the peace that only you can bring in our heart to rule over us, to help us get wise to Satan, to realize that he plays on our pride and he tells us things that we want to hear but only make matters worse. Father, help us grow closer to you, to make our time, to schedule time for you, Father. We're never too busy for you. Father, I pray that there's lots of times that, that I've even been in violation of this and Father, I ask you to forgive me as well. Father, help us become more like Jesus, to have the attitude that he had, to not look after our own interests, Father, but to seek to please you in all that we do. We love you, Father, and we pray that you just help us overcome these conflicts and arguments in our lives this morning. Pray this in your name.